0: 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and when you have that, I want to invite you to stand with me uh, this morning in reverence to God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you've given us a day that we can gather together. God, we thank you that you have given us your word, God, that it guides us and that it leads us. God, we want to pray as we have just heard your word that talks to us about the great inheritance that we have in you, and yet we're reminded of a a city a short flight away. God, where there are less churches in that city of two million people than in this county. And so many live in darkness. God, help us rejoice then today for this inheritance that we have that can never be taken from us. But God, impress upon our hearts that so many more need to hear about the inheritance that is available to them. And God, we pray this this morning in Christ's name. Amen. We come to 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and we will be here for the next couple of months. And Peter writes to us these two letters. And this letter that we have here, this first letter from Peter, he writes to a group of people who are living in a time and in a culture where where they are the great minority when it comes to their beliefs about the way the world works and when it comes to their beliefs about God. They live in a time where there was a desperate need for people to come to faith in Christ. And they lived in a time that was very dark where most of the world did not see things the way they did. And so he uses, even in verse 1, this idea of being in exile. that, That they, in the dispersion, as he says a verse later, they're different. They're different than the people around them. They don't fit in real well. And so we come to 1 Peter, and I don't think that we can relate to them on the scale that may be necessary to, to really understand 1 Peter, but I want us to try to get as close as possible. Because we live in a time where even though things are getting worse, and I'll, I believe they're going to get much worse, we can still gather here this morning and we don't have a problem with that. We don't live in a country that only until last year identified us not as a cult. But I think we can still relate to this idea that we live in a time where it's becoming increasingly difficult to remain true to our faith without compromising what we believe. And so Peter writes to this group of people to encourage them that what they are dealing with is going to be difficult and it's going to be hard, but that what they have is so much greater. What they have to look forward to is so much greater. And the faith that they have in Christ is infinitely greater than whatever it is that they're going to be dealing with in their culture. Whatever difficulty they're going to be facing, whatever hardship it is, whatever persecution is going to come their way, because they're in Christ, the inheritance that he has promised them is infinitely greater. And so he begins in verse 1, and he writes this letter to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. He wants them to know that though they are outcasts and rejected, though they are exiles, there's still that word in there, elect that God has chosen them. For something greater than what they're facing right now it's interesting with those two words there with the words exiles and dispersion he is kind of giving this this picture if you will and we've talked about this many times if you think about God's people God's people were a land-based people right God promised them this promised land there in the Middle East a land that is still being fought over even to this day And so those who were not in that place that God had promised them, they were exiles, right? If you remember when we go past the kings of Israel and we get into the point where nations are coming in and conquering them, what do they do? They they conquer Israel, they capture them, and they take them somewhere else. And what do they become? Exiles, right? They're forced into slavery or servitude in some other land. The dispersion is this picture, if you study uh, Jewish thought and theology, the the dispersion is is people who live outside of God's promised land. So if you were a Jew in another part of the world, you were part of the dispersion. But Peter here is not writing to Jews. If you look at the places that he's writing to here, these cities that are mentioned here, Pontius, Galatia, so forth and so on, those are towns in what we would call The the country today of Turkey, it's Asia Minor. That area was not a Jewish area, but it was a Gentile area. So he's writing to these Gentile Christians, but he's talking about them being exiled in the dispersion. He's talking about it like this because where they are at, the place that they are at living that day, was not the promised place that God had for them in the future they had not gotten there yet and when he goes on into talking in these verses that come after his introduction here he begins to talk to them about this wonderful inheritance that they have ahead of them it's an inheritance that they're partaking of now but it's an inheritance that's so much greater in the time to come And so, for them, they needed to understand, and we need to understand this morning, that we are not yet to the place that God has promised us fully. And I'm thankful for that. Because go turn on the news. If you turn on enough news stations right now, I guarantee you that plenty of the news is bad. Go pick up the newspaper. You see that things, even in our own community, are not great. We read about the things that are going on around the world where our brothers and sisters in Christ are being heavily persecuted for their faith. They're not gathering in a building like this this morning. They're meeting in some secret dark room in the back corner somewhere because if they are caught, they will be killed for their faith. So things aren't where they're going to be one day. We haven't fully recognized all the promises of God yet, but we are called to live in this time that we have now. And Peter wants those who are reading this letter To understand that though things are bad and though they are facing difficulties and persecution, though they are exiles, though they are part of the dispersion, they are not brought in yet to the place that God has promised. There's still that word there. They're still elect. They've still been chosen by God. And look what he says in verse 2 they've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They've been chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit. And they've been chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. So even though you live right now in this place that is tough and hard and terrible, even though you're going to face difficulties and persecution, you're going to face sickness and famine, you're going to face the sword, you're going to be killed for your faith, He is telling them... You're still the ones who God has chosen. And in his gracious choosing of you, he has sanctified you in his spirit. He has brought you into the opportunity to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. See, all this imagery, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, is so powerful. Because he's he's using this terminology and these things that could only happen to the chosen people of God. And yet he's applying it to these these Gentile believers who are stuck in these cities where they're being persecuted and killed for their faith. And he says there at the end, to give them encouragement. And this is just his introduction. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Think about that. He's already told them that they've been chosen by God. And he says, let it keep coming. Let his grace and peace be multiplied even more to you. I don't even know how that's possible if we've been chosen by God and sanctified by the spirit and called to obedience and sprinkled with the blood of Christ. But but Peter says, Hey, may your grace and may, may God's grace be multiplied to you and his blessings. So that's where we're at. That's who we are. I want you to understand that. Again, I don't think we're facing it in the, the measure that they were. But he uses this introduction to give you an idea of who you are if you're in Christ. You've been chosen by God. The place that you are at now is not the permanent place that God has for you. What you're going through now, what you're dealing with now, is not the future that God has for those who have faith in Him, for those who have been called as His children. So look what He begins to develop for us that we do have. He says, Blessed. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what God's mercy has given us. is who we are. We're elect exiles. We dwell in a place that is not our home. It is not our permanent dwelling place. But what does God have for his people? Look at the second sentence there. Verse 3, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If we go back to John, chapter 3, Nicodemus is a very godly man. he comes to Jesus and he says, I want to understand what this is all about. And Jesus tells him that you have to be what? Born again, right? And that's a weird concept. Not because I'm making it weird, but, but Nicodemus made it weird. He said, I don't understand how that works. I don't know if Nicodemus had kids or what, but he understood how it worked, and it doesn't happen twice. No woman in this room that's had a baby wants it to happen twice. But he says, you've got to be born again. He says, you were born initially of flesh. You were born from your mother, but you've got to be born of the Spirit. Something's got to happen. Your life has got to start over. Because when you were born the first time, you were born into sin. When we're born the first time, we're born and we're on a path with no hope. We're going in a direction that is far away from God. And Jesus tells us, and Peter reiterates it here, that we must be born again. We've got to start over. We've got to start over with a new set of priorities. We've got to start over with a new master, and it's got to be Christ. But the interesting part is that Peter makes it very clear here that God, in Christ Jesus, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. tell you what, when, when I was a kid, maybe when you were a kid, this, this whole concept of being born again is kind of, is, is kind of a strange one. Not in the fact that, like Nicodemus, I, I didn't know enough as a kid to know well, this the whole thing Nicodemus is talking about, you know, how can a, a man enter once again into his mother's womb, I, I, but what's it mean? How do you make it happen? Because I don't know if you're like me, but, but I got really good at saying prayers, That's pretty easy. I mean, even if you're sitting in the balcony, it's not real far to come down here and say a prayer. I could say a prayer. I could repeat one every week. Some of you might sit there and repeat a prayer every week. Is that being born again? See, what Peter clarifies for us here is that it's God that has caused us to be born again. It wasn't because we got the words right on a particular Sunday with a particular preacher. It's it's because since Christ has died for us and been raised from the dead for us, then God, when we trust in Him and turn from our sin, God causes us to be born again. And when we are born again, we're born to a living hope. When we're born the first time, we have no hope. We're on a path that leads to destruction. But God causes us to be born again when our faith is in Him, when He chooses us, when He looks down at us and we repent from our sin, He causes us to be born again. And when we're born again, we have this living hope, this living hope that can never be taken away from us. So that's pretty neat because we go back to this introduction and we're reminded of who we are. And we live in a world that when we we look around us at and what everyone's doing and how everyone's living, and we, we look at, at where priorities are and we look at, at what people are doing and, and striving to achieve in life, we, we come to the conclusion that if there is nothing bigger than us or better than us or greater than us, then it's all pointless and worthless. I mean think about it. Think about the billions of people who have ever lived. The billions. How many people could you sit down and name who lived over 200 years ago? I mean, the list might be a couple hundred. If we go out 300 years, you know, before there was the whole 1776 thing and, and all of our framers signed the Declaration of Independence, do we remember any of those guys before that? Let's go 500 years ago. We go back 500 years, we're not even to the Reformation yet. So all the people I would name, because of church history class at, in seminary, well, they don't even count yet, because they're not important yet. They don't get important for like three or four more years. So let's go back a 1,000 years. I bet in this room, a lot of you could name a lot of people who are over a 1,000 years old. But why? You know them from here, right? But say you take this out. Okay, we got Plato and Aristotle and Euripides and some of those guys, but can you name thousands? What's the point? Billions of people have lived since God created the heavens and the earth, and you and I remember almost none of them. So if there is nothing after we live this life, if there is no living hope, if we die and our consciousness ceases to exist and we're dead and we decay and there is nothing, what was the purpose of all of it? That just made your life really, really sad if you don't know Christ. Because let me be honest with you, like 20 or 30 years from now, I might not remember all of your names. 20 or 30 years from now oh yeah I think that guy was on our sign for a little while well let's be honest most of you in here couldn't name a pastor that was here 30 years ago because you didn't go here now some of you did some of you might remember 50 or 60 years ago but if there's nothing if there's nothing after this what's the point And yet, he says here that we have been born again. We left a life that was meaningless and pointless with no hope. And God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that resurrection from the dead gives us what he begins to talk about in verse 4 something that is meaningful and lasts and cannot be taken away. Look, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. See, if there is no hope, then the inheritance that we have is nothing. You'll live however many years. You'll die. They'll either spread your ashes somewhere or they'll put you in the ground. That's it. If you're like me, sometimes... And maybe you're not to this age yet, although some of you are getting to that age, you you start thinking about, you know, your legacy or however you want to put it. You know, when you get older, you start thinking about maybe the inheritance you're going to leave your kids, (laughs) at least an inheritance that doesn't include debt, a little something. But eventually all of that passes away, right? Eventually It's gone. But here he promises us that if we are in Christ, though we live in a time of turmoil, though we live in a time of persecution, though we live in a society that is decaying and the, the moral fabric is being torn apart and all of those fun things, when we get to verse 4, he says that we have been saved to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It does not go away imperishable. It's stored up and it lasts forever forever. It can't be destroyed. There's there's no rot. There's no decay. There's nothing that's ever going to happen where it's taken away from you, where it no longer exists. When we look at the history of our world, there's no government that's lasted forever. There's no kingdom or democracy that always has been. Even the people of God had a country That once it was destroyed, once they were scattered about, it took 2,000 years for it to be restored, and it's still not what it once was. But we have an inheritance that is imperishable. Look, the second is undefiled. Nothing can mess it up. Nothing can make it less than what it was when you were given it. Nothing's ever going to come in this inheritance that God has for you and make it not as good as it was supposed to be. Nobody's going to twist it into something else. You know, it's the interesting thing about the way the church works today because a lot of churches have been twisted into something else. A lot of messages have been twisted into something else. A lot of preachers have been twisted into something else. But the inheritance that we have in God doesn't work that way. And nothing's going to mess it up. And the last thing he says there, the third thing is unfading. It doesn't lose its value. It doesn't lose its beauty. We don't get to the end of our lives and we look at what is ahead and we go, man, you know, I thought I thought that inheritance was going to be a lot better. It's as valuable today is it will be 10,000, 10,000 years from now. He saved us to this inheritance. Now think about that. If you are reading this and you are a believer in Christ who is having to meet in a dark shadow somewhere so that no one will come in and take your life, you're having to share the gospel knowing that if the wrong person hears it, you will be killed for your faith. And you read this about this wonderful promise that we have in Christ. This is a message that gives hope. But friends, I'm afraid... Is a message we need to listen to a little bit better today. Because so very often we trade the message of the gospel. We trade the message of hope. We trade this message that God has given us in his word for something else. Because we don't believe that what is ahead is greater than what we are experiencing right now. We might say we do. But if we really did, we would never compromise our message. We would never compromise our standards because we know that it is Christ who here promises a living hope that is to come. That's undefiled and unfading. It's a message that is imperishable. But we trade it for something less. Because we, we want the gratification now instead of what's in the future. Friends, we have a great hope in Christ. We have a great inheritance that can never be taken away from us. But, friends, we live in this dark world where people around us have no hope, they have no direction. They're taking all of their thoughts and they're putting it on things for today. We have a world that's driven by money. We have a world that's driven by fame. But those things can't save. And when you and I present them with a message other than the truth of God's word, the message of the gospel, we do it maybe to make them feel better today, right? I mean, it feels good if you hear somebody stand up and say, you know, God... Wants to give you everything you want. That sounds good, doesn't it? Yes. That sounds good. How many of you would like it if God gave you everything you wanted? How many of you would like it if God struck you down right now for lying in church? Come on. How many of you would say if God came to you and said, listen, I want your bank account to be full, I mean so full that every time you take anything out, it doubles what you took out and they just put it right back in there? Now, some of you are old enough to know that would be very bad, but most of the rest of us think that sounds like a good idea. But that's not the truth, is it? I mean, Peter's writing to people that are dying for their faith. I'm sure they didn't have a whole lot of money. We need to be cautious about sharing things with people that are not true because Christ is the truth, and his truth is something that leads to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. We've got to be cautious about this. Look at the third thing he says, end of verse four, about this inheritance. He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's really good news because, you remember the story? New Testament, fella comes to his dad. Dad, I'd like to have my inheritance. Slap in the face, really. Dad, I wish you would go ahead and die, but since you're not going to die, so I can get my stuff, can I have it now? So the guy takes his stuff, and he goes, and he blows it. He takes his stuff, and he goes, and he uses it all up. He squanders it, and it's gone. Depending on your translation, it's loose living or wild living or however. See, when I look around at the world and the way it works and the way things are going, I'm glad that my inheritance is somewhere else. I'm glad that my inheritance is to come. That that I've got it to look forward to one day. It's it's ahead of us. It's something that's not here. God keeps it in heaven for us. And look, He also guards it. Verse 5, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God has our inheritance for us in heaven and He he guards it. See, you notice here that, that heaven is not... The total of our inheritance. Our inheritance is, is so much larger than heaven. The inheritance that we are promised is, is the fact that we're going to be with Christ forever. We're going to be in the presence of the one who created us and died for us. Yeah, I love the whole thought about us enjoying the, the streets of gold and all that stuff. Because that's going to be so irrelevant. Your pearly gates, so irrelevant. The presence of the creator of the universe, that's where we're going to dwell. If you're excited about the streets of gold and all that other stuff, you need to get over it now, because you're going to get over it then, because it's really just not going to matter. It shows you of how little value those things are, that they would be used as pavement, because in heaven, we get to dwell in the presence of God. We get to be face with, to face with the one who has made us and loved us and redeemed us from all of our sin and from all of our wickedness. He has pulled us out of that and loves us enough that he allows us to dwell with him forever. So he says that we're now being guarded. Because, friends, the sad part about it is, if this inheritance was left up to us, we'd mess it up. Don't say, preacher, I I wouldn't. I know the rest of you would, but I know you would mess it up first. We would mess it up, If it was on us, God gives us our inheritance, and we get to put it in our pocket, we would mess it up. We'd run in the other direction, we would drop it, we would have it out looking at it, and we would scratch it. Whatever it was, we would mess it up. But the truth of the matter is, God keeps our inheritance for us. He guards it. That's why, as Baptists, we don't believe we can lose our salvation. It's, it's a, this verse is another reminder to me. I can mess it up. Yes. I could lose it. Yes. I could lose my salvation in a heartbeat. In a moment. If it was left up to us, we'd come up to the front, and we would get saved, and we'd be excited, and we'd turn around, and we would be prideful that we have been saved and lose our salvation right there. Wouldn't even make it back to the first pew. But God. Guards it for us. He guards your salvation. He guards your inheritance. He guards your faith. So that, as he says there at the end of verse 5, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The The great part about it is, we die, I believe in a moment we're in the presence of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. It's easy to believe when the Bible says it. You know, the Bible talks about a day when God's going to bring all of this stuff to a close. And there's going to be the resurrection. And he says that when that happens, that we're not going to be these disembodied spirits that float around forever in heaven. You know. Playing our harps on the cloud. You need to stop watching Looney Tunes and get over that. That's not biblical theology. But he says we're bodily, flesh and blood, 195 pounds, six foot five, gonna spend eternity with Christ. So he says, in the last day, in the last time, all of this is gonna be revealed, and you're gonna get to see all of this happen. And he promises that it will happen to us. So what does he say to do? Look at these last verses. He says, in this you rejoice. All the stuff that's going on now, all the things you're dealing with, all the junk. He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved with various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says right now you're going through some things and you're dealing with some of these difficulties. You're having to face things in this life that you don't like. For the people who he's writing to, they're having to face death every day because they believe in Christ. He says, but you're going to rejoice in the fact that what is ahead of you is so much greater than what you're going through now. What is ahead of you, what God has promised to you is infinitely better than whatever you're facing. He says, when you face these trials, these temptations, these difficulties, what it does is it purifies your faith It strengthens your faith. We watch this happen all the time, right? I mean, I can go to a funeral home and spend a few minutes with someone who's grieving and tell you a lot about their faith. Because there's some people that have a loss They give up on God. God didn't give up on them. They give up on God. It's over. No, God. You know, God let my 115-year-old grandmother die. (laughs) What are you talking about? 115? Yeah. He didn't save her. Now, listen. Some of you have went through tragedies that are unspeakable. That are unimaginable, but when we go through trials and temptations and difficulties, it it tests our faith because some people just throw in the towel and say, "If, if God's going to let anything bad happen in the world, I'm, it's not a God I want to believe in." Then some people see God when He works in ways that are hard, that are difficult to understand, that are that are gut wrenching. And it purifies their faith. It strengthens it. And they understand. And that's what they're going through here. And so he says at the end end of verse 7, May that your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is that what our faith is doing? Let me ask you, if Jesus were to walk in the back door right now, He's done the whole eastern sky thing and He's come right here. The front of 1st Baptist Iger. Does our faith? Our faith, because He's made us to be born again, our, our faith that is wrapped up in this inheritance that is ahead, this faith that is being kept in heaven, does our faith cause us and others to give praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ? Because, see, we like to gripe and complain that we don't get things our way. Our country's a mess. The economy's bad. Whatever it is. We had a tough week. Somebody doesn't like us. There's probably like a bunch of people that don't like you. It's a whole list of people that don't like me. Is our faith such... That it causes praise and glory and honor to be given to Christ. Because he says here, now he's writing to people that he knows. He says here, though, verse 8, you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He tells the people that are there hurting that are there dying, he says, press on in your faith. Continue having this faith that is strong and enduring. Continue giving glory and honor to Christ even in the most difficult of circumstances because what it does in the end is it reveals that you are in Christ and you obtain there in verse 9 the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, that's what the people he was writing to knew, that if they lived, they were going to live with their focus on Christ, regardless of what was happening, regardless of the things they were dealing with in the world. And if they died, they were going to get the salvation that they had been looking forward to. If they lived, they were going to live in such a way as to bring glory and honor to Christ, as to bring praise to his name. And if they died, well, God was going to save them. That's how we are supposed to live. When we understand that we live in this world, but we don't belong to this world. We belong to the one who sits in heaven and with him there keeps for us an inheritance that can never be taken away from us, that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. If we understand that, then it's going to be of primary importance. Because nothing else is really going to matter. If you got a house, it won't be there one day. Tornado will get it. Fire will get it. It will just fall in. That's what happens. If you got a car, as soon as you pulled it off the lot, the value went... Pfft. If you got life, when you breathe, I assume you're doing that. It's not going to last much longer. Oh, it might be decades. But in the scheme of the whole of human history, it's a vapor that's fleeting away. But if you have the inheritance that God has promised us in His Word, it's eternal. It will never die, and it can never be taken from you. And, friends, if you're here this morning and you don't have this this promise that God has for us, I want to promise you that you're missing out. It's the greatest gift that anyone could ever give you. It's the greatest hope that anyone could ever encourage you with that God has given us here in His Word. And all He does is He calls on us to respond. He calls on us to abandon this direction that we're going in that leads to nowhere and follow Him. We need to live today and every day. We need to live in understanding the inheritance that God has for us. We need to live up to the standard of that privilege that God has given us. In Christ. Because it's coming. This inheritance, it's ahead of us. And we get closer to it every single day. And we need to live like that. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful that today we have hope in you. We have grace and mercy and peace in in your goodness. God, I'm thankful that for each person here who knows you and is trust in you, you have stored up for them this wonderful inheritance that is to come. You have given them this promise that they will spend an eternity with you. God, we are exceedingly grateful that we have that promise. But God, I know there are those who are sitting here today who they don't know you. They may have never heard your name before. They, They certainly don't know of this inheritance, this promise. It just sounds like churchy language. God, I would pray that you would speak to their heart, that you would impress upon them this morning that as the one who has made them, your love for them is deep. God, speak to their heart this morning that you, you want them to turn from all the things that they're doing as they run from you and God, turn, turn their life to following after you. God, we're grateful that you call us together that you speak to our hearts. And God, we pray these things this morning in Christ's name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. I would just call on you to respond to God's word. Are you living up to the standard of this inheritance that God has for us? Are you you living like that's the reality of what's ahead? Are you living for today? Because let me promise you that today will not matter for very long. But when we live for the inheritance that God has for us, it's a powerful thing to live in light of what God has done. If you don't know him this morning, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I want to invite you to come. I'd love to share with you how to do that. Would you respond to God's word this morning as we sing?